Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermon. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. As we are drawing our sermon series to a close on what's the problem, we've been talking about that for the last number of weeks. Um, The first one was the problem of disinterest. Second one, the problem of discouragement. We talked about that this past Sunday. And so we want to close our series on what's the problem today, talking about the problem of dissatisfaction. So to briefly recap as best I can the last two messages, we have a people, children of Israel, who have been in captivity for 70 years in Babylon, and now they've returned to their homeland to rebuild, all right? They've been there. They've been in captivity. They've been taken from, driven from their homeland into a foreign land 70 years, and now the time has come. They've been allowed you. You are going home. We are going home. And so when they get there, the charge is to rebuild, rebuild your homes, rebuild your lives in this, in this land that you've been from, you've been gone from for 70 years. But the initial call, the first call was for them to rebuild the temple. That's what I want you to start with, rebuild God's temple. And so they began to do that. All right, but after some disappointments and pushbacks and opposition, they allowed the building to stall for nearly two decades. And we talked about that last week in Ezra 3, verses 10 through 13. Have them on the screen. When the builders completed the foundation of the Lord's temple, the priests put on their robes and took their places to blow their trumpets. With praise and thanks, they sang this song to the Lord He is good, He is faithful. His faithful love for Israel endures forever. And then all the people gave a great shout, praising the Lord because the foundation of the Lord's temples had been laid. But many, the older priests, Levites, and other leaders who had seen the first temple, in other words, Solomon's temple that had been destroyed 70 years before that whenever they were driven into captivity, they wept aloud when they saw the new temple's foundation. The others, however, were shouting for joy, verse 13. The joyful shouting and weeping mingled together in a loud noise that could be heard far in the distance. Ezra 3.13 in the Amplified Version says it this way. The people could not distinguish the sound of the shout of joy from the sound of weeping. And so what we learned last week on that was that opened the door created a problem of discouragement, and they allowed discouragement to set in. And of course, whenever you give way to discouragement, then the enemy has his field day with that, and he will take every advantage he can because they were not standing in strength, they were not standing in unity, and they allowed discouragement to set in to get mingled in with the encouragement and discouragement overwhelmed it. And then what happened was the Samaritans, who didn't like what was going on, they began to write a letter to Artaxerxes, who was over them at that time and kind of painted them this picture of, you know, there's this unruly people that you're not going to want around. You need to keep them under your thumb. And so he made a decree, even though they had already been decreed that they could go home, rebuild their temple, rebuild their homes, rebuild their lives, even though that was already in place, discouragement opened the door for something else to be spoken. He made a decree and ceased building on the temple, as it says in Ezra 4.23. When this letter from King Artaxerxes was read, they hurried to Jerusalem. Then, with a show of strength, they forced the Jews to stop building. So for almost 20 years, 
God's call and that they had permission to go in had been put on pause because of discouragement. And so as a result of that discouragement, they began to settle into disinterest in the things of God, building their own homes. And so though what happened was God sent a word through the prophet Haggai, and that's where we've been, Haggai chapter 1 and chapter 2. It's a small book, but it packs a lot of power in it. And so right at the beginning of Haggai, that's what we've been talking about, is he came and declared, how are you building your own homes when the temple of God lays in ruins? And so what happened was, you know, bolstered by that word from Haggai, they were like, you're right, let's do this. And so they rose up and they began. They started again. They started work on the temple. The foundation had been laid almost 20 years before and they'd stopped and now they're back in full force, right? Now they're finally back on track and building. Haggai 1, 12 through 15 says it this way. Then Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the whole remnant of God's people began to obey the message from the Lord their God when they heard the words of the prophet Haggai, whom the Lord their God had sent. The people feared the Lord. That's a good thing. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the people this message from the Lord. I am with you, says the Lord. That's a good word, amen? I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the whole remnant of God's people. They began to work on the house of their God, the Lord of heaven's armies, on September 21st of the second year of King Darius' reign. Now, what we also realized that we learned last week, uh, that opposition tried to resurface. The same folks that got them shut down nearly 20 years before that saw again, tried to rear their heads this time, said, who do you think you are? It even says it, Ezra 5.3, who gave you permission to rebuild this temple and restore this structure? We thought we'd shut you up. Who do you think you are? What do you think you're doing? And then this time, emboldened by the proclamation, emboldened by the word of the Lord, they stood their ground, Ezra 5.11. This was their answer. We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth, and we are rebuilding the temple that was built here many years ago by a great king of Israel. So our main parts in this saga, okay, that's what we're talking about. Because when they stood firm in that, they were able to rebuild the entire temple in four years. Once they got into it, emboldened by the strength and the word of God, they did what he said and were able to rebuild that temple in four years. So that's the main parts of this, you know, what we've been going over for these last weeks, all right? From where the start where Haggai tells them, hey, you need to get back to rebuilding and to the end in this piece in history in the life of the children of Israel where they did exactly that. They rebuilt the house of the Lord in the name of God in heaven and earth. So what we've seen thus far, right, is the problem of disinterest and the problem of discouragement defeated through God's word coming forth from the prophet and his people responding. Now, today's problem is one that I believe it's really important to close on. And the reason being is we need to keep in mind that this story that we've been learning about, it's one that impacted God's children, right? Not those that were not his, but his own. And so I want to remind us all that the word tells us not to be ignorant of the enemy's schemes. Amen? Because we have an enemy that will use these problems to break down a man or a woman of God subtly and slowly, but surely enough, consistently and effectively, if we're not aware of them. All right? So last week, Pastor Quentin gave us this passage right here, beginning in Haggai 2. Haggai 2, 1 through 9. Then on October 17th of that same year, the Lord sent another message through the prophet Haggai. Say this to Zerubbabel, 
son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of God's people there in the land. Does anyone remember this house, this temple in its former splendor? How in comparison does it look to you now? It must seem like nothing at all. But now the Lord says, be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people still left in the land. And now get to work, for I am with you says the Lord of heaven's armies. My spirit remains among you, just as I promised when you came out of Egypt. So do not be afraid, for this is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. In just a little while, I will again shake the heavens and the earth, the oceans and the dry land. I will shake all the nations, and the treasures of all the nations will be brought to this temple. I will fill this place with glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And in this place, I will bring peace. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. Repetition is the best teacher. He's the Lord of what armies? Heaven's armies. We're not going to forget that, are we? Because we need to remember that. And I believe that's one of the reasons that continues to be brought up, because God's not going to let you forget because your enemy will try to make you forget and try to distract you. Oh, you know, you think he's got power. You know, look, man, I can, I can make things really tough. Why don't you take a look at what's going on all around? Why don't you take a look at what's happening? You don't need to worry. You know, look, just, you need to just let it go, okay? Because there's so much going on right now that there's absolutely nothing that you can, and he can blind you so much to where you look around here, to where you look at what's going on on the earth and what's going on around you, when all the while God is reminding you, I have all the power on this earth is mine, and all of heaven is mine. There is nothing that I cannot do. Don't look around. Look up to me. That's what he's telling them in that word, all right? So now that's at the beginning of Haggai chapter 2, and to complete that short book, we go all the way to the end. It concludes with this passage in verses 20 through 23. On that same day, December 18th, so the first passage started in October, now we're in December, so we've had a little bit of time passage here, okay? The Lord sent this second message to Haggai, tell Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, that I am about to shake the heavens and the earth. So it's repeating what he said at the beginning. I will overthrow royal thrones and destroy the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overturn their chariots and riders. The horses will fall and their riders will kill each other. But when this happens, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will honor you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant. I will make you like a signet ring on my finger, says the Lord, for I have chosen you. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. Now, These two words the Lord gave Haggai, they're passages that go along with the problem of discouragement, all right? God telling them, you don't need to be discouraged. I'm with you. The glory of this temple will be greater than the former. I'm with you. Go do it, all right? That's what God's saying. He's encouraging them. I'm with you. Go do it. But as Pastor Quentin said, this story is spread out through several books of the Old Testament. It's really amazing, and I encourage, if you haven't listened to the other two parts of this message. They're on the podcast. Be sure to go check them out. So Pastor Quentin uh, kind of outlines the, you know, 
the different structures of the Old Testament books. And so you have one event here in a book of the Bible that only covers two chapters. But yet the events of what's happening right here in Haggai are spread out across Ezra, across uh, Haggai, Zechariah, Nehemiah. So it, it's amazing how in different books across the Word of God you see these events happening in a sort of chronological order, but they're spread out. And so we've been covering these different books to tell this story of what's happening at this point in time, right? So we look at the timeline of events, going back to that, the concept of this, and we see, so right here at the beginning of chapter 2, all right, in October, God gives this word, all right, and then at the end of the chapter, two months later in December, he's giving another word that's very similar to the one that he just gave at the beginning. But we see that there's one more instance right in the middle of that chapter where God placed in the middle of these two. And it addresses something entirely different, and that's what we want to talk about today. This first passage that I want to talk about is actually from the prophet Zechariah. Let's look at it. Zechariah 1, verses 1 through 6. If you see right here, it says, In November of the second year of King Darius' reign. So that first proclamation in Haggai 2, that happens in October, all right? Now we're here in November, one month later. In November of the second year of King Darius's reign, the Lord gave this message to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah and grandson of Edo. I, the Lord, was very angry with your ancestors. Therefore, say to the people, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Don't be like your ancestors who would not listen or pay attention when the earlier prophets said to them, this is what the Lord of Heaven's army says, turn from your evil ways, stop all of your evil practices. Where are your ancestors now? They and the prophets are long dead. But everything I said through my servants, the prophets, happened to your ancestors, just as I said. What does it say here? As a result, they repented. And they said, we have received what we deserve from the Lord of heaven's armies. He has done what he said he would do. So right in the middle of these words of encouragement, I'm with you. I'm with you. Build. Do it. I'm going to shake the heavens. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to bring down your enemies right at the beginning. And then he's saying it again. Right in the middle, now he's saying something a little different. Right in the middle of all of this, the Lord brings a word to show them that, look, while there may be construction happening on this temple or business as usual, there was something else they needed to consider, and that was the state of their own temples, their lives with God. Let me tell you something, church. There's one thing you can be sure of, and that is this. God never wastes his words. If he said it, there's a reason for it. Okay, so we have Haggai telling them, right? Yes, I'm with you, I'm with you. Encourage, encourage, build. I'm gonna shake, do it. And then it's happening at the end. Yet somehow, right here, a month later, we've got another prophet by the name of Zechariah who's hanging out with Haggai. He goes, hey man, can you, see the, can you see it? Man, Haggai, that was an amazing word that God gave you last month. Yeah, yeah, man, it's kind of crazy what's been going on this last month. Yeah, we're gonna talk about that in a second. You know, like, uh, God told me something. I'm about to have to bring it. Really, what is it? And then all of a sudden, in the midst of this encouragement, God is dropping a word telling them, hey, you need to check your hearts. So what has happened from this month to this month? 
right in the middle of things going on, God is bringing something different. And I don't believe it was haphazard. Okay, it wasn't like, oh man, I forgot to, oh my gosh, I was supposed to give that word from Zechariah earlier, like in chapter one, you know, um, even though you guys don't even know what the Bible is, but I was supposed to tell Zechariah, I, I, I missed it, hey Zechariah, why don't you just go ahead and give that word right now, just get that one, we'll just, you know, we'll call it done, just fit it, fit it in the middle of Haggai's words. No. So there's a reason because there's a timeline and a purpose and a reason for everything that God said in his word and everything he does for us now. Because he's divine and he knows what he's doing. Amen? Aren't you glad about that? Now, let's look at it this way. After only a few months of work, right? So work had resumed. So after a few, a few months of work, had they reached a place of dissatisfaction with the results that they were getting? Because God's having to bring a word of encouragement to them after they started again, okay? Haggai brings in chapter one. You guys need to start building. Yes, we're going to start building. Now, all of a sudden, at the beginning of Haggai chapter two, God's having to encourage him. Hey, let's do this, man. I'm with you. Come on. You got this. And then after that word, it's like, okay, all right, all right, all right. Look, coffee break. Come here. Come here. Stop. Stop. Come here. You guys need to check your hearts. Okay, let me remind you of your ancestors who constantly did what I told them not to do. Return to me, and I will return to you. So had they reached a place of dissatisfaction with the results that were happening, with what was going on and how things were going, the Lord, like I said before, had already had to give them a word of encouragement just a month before that, telling them not to worry and that he was with them just as he had been with his ancestors coming out of Egypt, right? And now just one month later, he's having to talk to them about their ancestors again, yet in another way, when I had to bring the hammer down on your ancestors, and you need to get your heart right. What was going on? Were they looking more at the lack of progress without and not seeing the apparent lack of progress within? Look, guys, when you find yourselves in that place of dissatisfaction all of a sudden, because if you remember from the message last week, Pastor Quentin said, discouragement comes whenever your expectations don't match up with your reality, okay? But the seed that gets planted when that happens is the seed of dissatisfaction. You are dissatisfied with your reality because you expect it to be something else. And if you don't cut that seed off, then it breeds into discouragement, which ultimately, we realize, becomes disinterest in the things of God. That was the progression that had happened right there with that with that whole group of the children of Israel who would come back from Babylon. Disinterest had begun to happen. It settled into discouragement, and all of a sudden we find ourselves almost 20 years of disinterest in the things of God. And so what God was trying to do, he was trying to get ahead of it because that's how much God cares about us. Because God loves his children. God loves you. He wants you to be a part of what he's doing. He wants us to be a part of what he's doing, but we can only do that when we make the decision to stay engaged. It's our choice. 
And so what had happened was he had already begun to see because the influence of the older ones had already caused. That's why he's causing them to remember back. Look, I was with your, I was with your parents. I was with your grandparents in Egypt. I promised them everything I told them I would do, I did. And yet that's the same people that tested God in the desert. Why? Because they became dissatisfied with what was going on in the desert, even though God had made promises to them. They didn't trust in those promises, and they began to grumble, and they began to get dissatisfied, and then it bred into discouragement. And God had to take that whole generation and purge them out. You may have heard it said this way before. I'm getting ahead of myself on this quote, but I think it's appropriate for this moment. You may have heard it said this way before, but let me tell you something. God brought the children of Israel into the wilderness to get them out of Egypt, but he kept them in the wilderness to get Egypt out of them. And rather than recognizing that, they settled into dissatisfaction and grumbling and complaining, and then we have all these years later, all these years later, These children of Israel that have gone back from captivity because they found themselves in a place where God was using captivity to try and teach them something. And here they are. They have a chance to make things right. And they've already been derailed for almost 20 years. Okay? And now we've got this happening again. And God's saying, do not give in to this dissatisfaction. Do not give in to discouragement. You need to listen to me. You need to return to me. And I will return to you. Do not follow the patterns of your parents who did not listen when the prophets spoke. Where are they now? The prophets are dead and so are your parents. But everything that I said through them came to pass. And what did they do? They went, oh my gosh, you're right. That's exactly right. And that word that we just read in Zechariah says that they repented. So when you find yourselves Us as a church, us as children of God, when we find ourselves in that problem of dissatisfaction, there's two areas that we need to look at, all right, what we can learn from these verses, what they have to teach us today. The first thing that we need to look at, the first area is your proximity. When you find yourself in the problem of dissatisfaction, you need to look first at your proximity, If you're dissatisfied with how things are going in your day-to-day walk with the Lord, you may need to look around and see if you're still walking as close to him as you need to be. The children of Israel, like I said before, they were challenged to return to the Lord and to not be like their ancestors who did what was wrong in God's sight. They were not in close proximity to him, and this required God to speak the word to bring correction. Thank the Lord that they did. They saw it, they recognized it, and they got it right. The second thing that you need to look at if you find yourself in the problem of dissatisfaction is your process. First one is your proximity. The second one is your process. What do I mean by that? There are times where you can actually become disappointed with the results that you're getting from God, yet still be in close relationship with Him. It happens. Now, in those times... It's important to remember what he told you. Let's go back to what I was saying a moment ago. When the children of Israel were brought into captivity in Babylon for 70 years, do you know that they were told that was going to happen? It wasn't like they woke up one morning and the invaders had come. God brought words from the prophets that said, I have called out to you time and time and time again to return, and you refuse. And so I'm going to turn you over to your enemy so that you can learn what it means to have to call back to me, to call, and there's going to be 70 years of captivity. This is going to happen. 
I'm sure a lot of them are probably like what you and me would do. I rebuke that in Jesus' name. Right? Who wants to hear that kind of word and accept that, right? I mean, in natural human nature, we wouldn't. But it was the word of the Lord. It was not a surprise. It was coming. It was going to happen. And it did happen. But the other part of those prophecies where God told them said, I will not leave you there. Yes, there's judgment coming. But I will not leave you there to die as my people. I will return you to the land. That was the prophetic word given before it ever happened. And so we see whenever the children of Israel are coming back, how many of them do you think even remember that? There were many that forgot. There were many that no doubt remembered, but God was true to his word. And so you have people that if they look at what God spoke, they were following him, but no doubt were dissatisfied with the results they were getting. But to trust in the process, do you see what's going on there? There was a process that God was taking his children through to purify them, to make them more like him so that they would turn to him. It's not about works. It's about realizing that apart from God, we can do nothing and we will fail every time. That's not some doom and gloom thing. That's just reality. Look, we can get by for a while on our own. But without our proximity, without being close to God, we ultimately will crash and burn. And I don't know about you guys, but in my, look, I'll be the first to raise my hand that I've had plenty of times where I've had to check my proximity, even though I know it to be true. Why? Because as humans, we're just prone. We're prone to want to go do our own thing. It's that sin nature that we fight. That's why God is constantly drawing us to him. And we have to accept that and realize, God, man, I thank you. Thank you, God. There's an old phrase that, you know, used to go around whenever I was a kid. If you're feeling far away from God, guess who moved? Well, it wasn't God. So checking that proximity and checking the process. Okay, God, what did you say? God, look, I'm, 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 I'm with you. I'm living with you. I'm living for you. But God, there's, man, this is not... This is not awesome. Anybody ever been there before? You've had a promise. You've had a, something you were trusting in the Lord for, and you were, you were not having a proximity issue. You were with God. You were, you're, you're pressing into God, yet there was still something. And, and, and like, God, can we have a talk? Can we talk, about, can, we, can we talk about this? Anybody ever been there before? In those moments of dissatisfaction, to crush that and not allow it to become discouragement, go back to what God is doing and check the process of what God is doing in your life, the process, even though they were in Babylon, in bondage, he promised them that he would return them. And the children of Israel were presented with that truth in Zechariah 1. They realized their error. And verse 6, as we said before, it says they repented and they got it right. So now, Haggai chapter 2, his first word, then Zechariah came in November, all right? Now, let's go just a little forward in Haggai chapter 2 and read this passage. Haggai chapter 2, verses 10 through 19. On December 18th of the second year of King Darius' reign, the Lord sent this message to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Ask the priest this question about the law. If one of you is carrying some meat from a holy sacrifice in his robes, and his robe happens to brush against some bread or stew, wine or olive oil, or any other kind of food, will it also become holy? The priest replied, no. 
Then Haggai asked, if someone becomes ceremonially unclean by touching a dead person and then touches any of these foods, will the food be defiled? And the priest answered, yes. Then Haggai responded, that is how it is with this people and this nation, says the Lord. Everything they do and everything they offer is defiled by their sin. Look at what was happening to you before you began to lay the foundation of the Lord's temple. When you'd hoped for 20 bushel crop, you harvested only 10. When you expected to draw 50 gallons from the wine press, you found only 20. I sent blight and mildew and hail to destroy everything you worked so hard to produce. Even so, you refused to return to me, says the Lord. Think about this 18th day of December, the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Think carefully. I'm giving you a promise now. While the seed is still in the barn, you have not yet harvested your grain, and your grapevines, fig trees, pomegranates, and olive trees have not yet produced their crops. But from this day onward, I will bless you. In response to the repentance of their sin and the obedience to committing fully, not to just a building project, right? You understand, church, they weren't just building a building so that they could check off, okay, here's the things to do on the rebuild Israel checklist. Well, number one, got to get the temple, check. Number two, grandpa's house, check. Number, You know what I'm saying? Like it wasn't just a list of to-dos. There's a reason God said rebuild the temple, and it wasn't just about erecting a building. It was about literally building back the spiritual lives of these people. That's why God had them do it. That's why God, look, it wasn't about being some sort of meanie, you know, because if you look back in chapter one of Haggai, it says like, you know, you tried to, and it it goes back to these verses right here. It says, you tried to harvest and you expected 20, you only got 10. You did this and you only got this return. In chapter one, it talks about it's literally as if you were putting your money in pockets filled with holes. Why? Why? God did that because they were neglecting building the house of God and they were interested in all of their own pursuits. Was God doing that because he's some sort of meanie? No, he was doing it in order to spark them to return to him and they wouldn't. And so what happened was he sent the word and they recognized what happened and said, oh my goodness, we have to turn. In Zechariah, they recognized it, they repented, they returned and then what happens is this word comes talking about how sin is contagious. It will spread if you let it. But you did right. You got it right. All of these things that happened before, all of these things that happened to turn you, you didn't turn. But look on this day, the day that you got back to building, the day that you got it right, and even though it hasn't happened yet, Okay? Instead of a seed of dissatisfaction, I want to plant a seed of hope in you. And from this day forward, I will bless you. I will bless you. Haggai 2, and it takes us back to that promise. And after that moment, after that moment where he says, from this day forward, I will bless you, he reaffirms what he had said at the beginning of chapter 2. He says, on that same day, this is Haggai 2, 20 uh, through 23, we just read it earlier. On that same day, December 18th, the Lord sent this second message to Haggai. So it was the same day as that, what he had talked to them about sin. 
and about getting their hearts right and about making sure that they got themselves doing what the Lord had called them to do. Tell Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, that I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow royal thrones and destroy the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overturn their chariots and riders. The horses will fall. The riders will kill each other. But when this happens, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will honor you, Zerubbabel. Son of Shilto, my servant, I will make you like a signet ring on my finger. What does that mean? I have made a covenant with you. The signet ring spoke of covenant. I am yours and you are mine, says the Lord, for I have chosen you. The Lord of heaven's armies have spoken. They rose up in full assurance after that, church. That's what happened afterward. That's when they rose up in full assurance and they told the enemy that we're trying to start their mouth again and start running their mouth. Who told you to do this? It was after that that they rose up in full assurance of their God. They let the Samaritans know that it was God who had given them the authority to rebuild. They saw his victory and blessings fulfilled in their lives. This was because they lived for God and didn't just work for him. They didn't allow dissatisfaction to reopen the door of discouragement and potentially take them back to a place of disinterest in the Lord's commands. Amen? It's a good day. So as we start kind of bringing this in for a landing, I want to revisit this point because it was, I know it was several weeks ago, this series has been kind of spread out over the last number of weeks. So in the first part of this sermon series, we were challenged by Pastor Quentin through these first verses in Haggai to do what? Consider our ways or to give thought to our ways. Whenever we find ourselves in any of these problems, a problem of disinterest, the problem of discouragement, the problem of dissatisfaction, we need to consider our ways when we find ourselves in any of these problem areas. So again, if you find yourself dissatisfied with how things are going, you need to consider your proximity to the Lord or you need to consider the process that he's taking you through. So in these final moments, I just want to tell you a couple of stories and just examples from my own life to kind of bring these points home, all right? So regarding proximity, last week I was putting my son Andrew to bed. He was, uh, we were doing his prayers for the night, and he was reading the book The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom. How many of you guys are familiar with that book? Raise your hand. All right. For those of you unfamiliar with The Hiding Place, it tells the story of a woman, she and her family, during World War II, um, they risked their lives to help Jews and the underground workers escape from the Nazis by hiding them in their home. They had a secret room in their home, thus the title of the book, The Hiding Place. And for that work, they were tested in the infamous Nazi death camps because they were discovered and then they were sent off to the camps. And only Corey, among her family, survived. But through it, she told the story of how faith ultimately triumphs over evil. And so as we were about to pray and close for the night, I remember telling Andrew, I said, you know, sometimes, Andrew, it can, um, it can cost a great deal to walk in the grace and the love of the Lord. You know, in Corey's case, it, it cost her family everything. And um, the next thing I told him, I knew it was from the Lord because it just kind of fell out of my mouth. I wasn't even thinking about it. It was just this fully complete thought. It was like, oh, where'd you come from? I said, but you know, buddy, the closer that we are to Jesus, the less that we'll see the cost because it'll be turned to joy. And I thought about 
excerpt from the book how Corey spoke of being able to minister to people in the camps and tell them about Jesus. And I thought about, you know how in like, you know, two seconds you can have like this whole conversation in your head, right? And I thought about myself. I'm like, man, would, would, I, would I find it, would I count it joy to be yanked from my home and thrown into those camps? Would I, would I sit there in, in, in continued pressing on in the kingdom of God and continue to talk to people about Jesus or, or, or would I allow dissatisfaction and discouragement to settle in until I ultimately wasn't interested in anything Jesus wanted to do in me there? But that's not her story. Because of her proximity to Jesus, she literally counted it joy to be able to be there and share the goodness of God with the people that she encountered. You know, if our lives and the things that we're doing aren't mirroring his character and his love, we may find ourselves dissatisfied with the results we're getting because we're too close to ourselves. The children of Israel had begun rebuilding a house, right? The house of God. They had begun rebuilding it, but without God in their temples, it would have been an empty work. It would have been in vain. I'm reminded of the scripture verse that says in Matthew chapter 12, 43 through 45, when an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert seeking rest but finding none. Then it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds its former home empty, swept and in order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself and they'll enter the person and live there and that person is worse off than before. That will be the experience of this evil generation. The bottom line there is, Keep God in the temple. Keep him close. You won't be dissatisfied. They were building a building. They were building, they were trying to build this grand temple. But if God wasn't in it, then somebody else was going to occupy it. And that's what God was getting ahead of them to make sure it didn't happen again. Keep me close, children of Israel. Return to me, and I will return to you. And then the next consideration was considering our process. And I wanted to make sure, guys, that I developed this point because I've seen many people, and I'm sure many of you have also in this room, who are close to the Lord, who are living well for him, but still may find themselves dissatisfied with how things are currently going in their lives. So the best example I could give for that one was from my own life. And example is... Um, from my father. So many of you know my dad. He was a pastor for many years. He's been retired for the last couple. But before all of that, he was a man working in the marketplace in the automotive industry who had just been recently radically saved, changed and surrendered and turned a life of just complete and utter hatred for all the things of God to now complete and total surrender eating up anything he could to just get closer to God. And in that time, God had spoken to him a very clear and given him a very direct promise that he was going to move him at a point in time into a place of full-time ministry, that he would take him out of the marketplace and move him into a place of full-time ministry, okay? Now, what had happened was over time, as my dad continued to just day by day live for God, give it his all and everything, as that word day by day continued to not happen in his life, he started to get frustrated and he started to get dissatisfied with the results that he was seeing each day. 
Now, this is not to say, please hear me, this is not to say that full-time ministry is like the pinnacle and marketplaces down here. That's not what we're saying at all. That's not what I'm saying. Pastor Brian has gotten up here and said things like that. Pastor Quentin, myself, does everybody understand? That's not what I'm saying here this morning, okay? God has work for us to do no matter where we are, okay? So that's not the point I'm making this morning, but what I am saying is that God had given my dad a word. He had given him a promise, and my dad was getting frustrated and dissatisfied with the Lord's lack of delivery, or so he thought. So one night, he was at a service, and a guy came down to pray for him, and the Lord, in a well-timed word, just like the well-timed words of Haggai and Zechariah, this man began to speak to my father, and he said, Tommy, I see you like a calf in a pen at the gate. And you're looking out at the field, and you see all of the other calves out there doing what you want to be doing, being where you want to be. And you keep banging your head against the gate because you want to be out there. And God says, if you don't stop banging your head against the fence, God says, I'm going to open it, and I'm going to let you out. But what's going to happen is you're going to run out there in the field, and there's going to be dangers out there that you're not going to see. Different dangers, electric fences, and you're going to run headlong into those things, and they're going to scare you so bad that you're going to run back into the pen, and you will never come out again. And so just like the children of Israel, my father received the word from the Lord and began to put his head down, trust God for the process. See what was happening. There was something that he wanted but God knew he wasn't ready for it yet. There was a process that God was taking him through because he did ultimately fulfill his word to my father because he's a God who keeps his word. And that's what I'm trying to let all of us know this morning. Even if you find yourself day after day living for God with everything you have and maybe you're dissatisfied with the results, has God not been true to you before? If he's been true to you before, he will be true to you again. But if you find yourself in that dissatisfaction, stand back for a second and go, okay, God, what's going on in the process? What are you doing in me? Because just like my father, there's things that God was doing in the children of Israel, like I said earlier. He got them in the wilderness to get them out of Egypt, but he kept them in the wilderness to get Egypt out of them. He brought them into Babylon to what? To work the things out of them, to realize you have to turn to me because without me, without your God, you can do nothing. And so as it is for us in the things that God's called us to do in the life that we're living for him, there's a process that he wants to work in us and he will work that process surely as he is God. But it works a whole lot better when we trust that process and we stay close to him and we don't allow dissatisfaction to get in. So like I said, rather than continue to be dissatisfied, my father, and let that turn into discouragement, he received the Lord's word, he trusted in the Lord's process, and everything God brought him through prepared him for when he finally did bring that word to pass. And I say this to you, if he's spoken something to you, his promise is sure. Just as he says in Isaiah 43, 1 through 3, do not be afraid for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. 
When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. So today, guys, let's be a people who are interested in what he says, who are courageous about his word and won't be satisfied with anything else. Amen? Amen. Come on, would you stand to your feet and pray for you? God, we thank you that today we are a people that have your word. And Lord, not only do we have your word, but we have you, a God who is true to his word, who is true to his promise who makes good on everything that he says. And so, Lord, today, as we have looked, God, at the different problems that our enemy tries to throw our way to just simply, subtly, but surely undermine what you want to do in our lives, God, I thank you that we don't have to be ignorant of his schemes. Lord, we can be wise because we have you and we have your word. And so, God, today, I just ask that we would continue to trust in you, Father that we would not allow ourselves, Lord, to find ourselves in a place, Lord, where we are far from you. And Lord, if we are, I thank you, God, that when we look, God, when we look around, you are sure to speak, you are sure to draw us. And God, I pray that we would make that decision when we feel that pulling to not resist, but to give in, Lord, and to return to you that we might be close to you, God. And then, Lord, for those that are going through the process, Lord, maybe there's some some things that people are going through right now, God, that feels like bending, that feels like stretching, that feels like this, it feels like that, Lord. It's uncomfortable, but, Lord, they know it's you. God, I ask that you would give them the strength to continue to trust the process because if you said you would do it, you surely will. And, Lord, finally, I thank you that we don't have to be dissatisfied and we don't have to be discouraged because, God, you are the Lord And you are the God of all strength. You are the God of all comfort. And you, Lord, bring us peace. And so, God, I thank you again for your word. I thank you again for your promises. I thank you that you are with us every step of the way. And I pray, God, that you would remind each and every one of us of that whenever our enemy tries to tempt us to believe otherwise. Thank you that we are strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That we can also echo the words, God, of your prophet as well that we read. God, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by your spirit. We are strong in you, says the Lord. And as we trust in you and as we trust in your guidance and as we walk with you, Lord, surely we will see the things come to pass, Lord. And you give us the victory to go from day to day. Now, we're so grateful to you. We thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We ask all these things and we thank you for all these things, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen and amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.